Welcome to Lone Star Latter-day Saint Voices, a podcast dedicated to conversations with members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in North Texas. I'm your host, Eric Egan. These days, we hear a lot about diversity, equity, and inclusion. These have become buzzwords, but they're more than that. Our guest on this episode is Shannon Urechka, a human resources professional who is well-versed in these topics. We will talk about what each of these words mean, why they are important, and how we can be aware and attentive to diversity, equity, and inclusion in various aspects of our lives. We will also discuss the spiritual dimension of these concepts. Shannon Urechka is the new Chief Human Resources Officer at Texas Capital Bank. She grew up in Texas and is a lifelong member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Shannon and her husband have two children, an adult son and a teenage daughter, and she is in the Colleyville, Texas stake. Shannon, thank you for joining us. Oh, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Let's start off by getting to know you. Where were you born and what were your growing up years like? Yeah, well, technically I was born in California, but I was um, adopted right after I was born and flown to Texas. So I've really known my whole life is has been in Texas. I grew up in a small town in southeast Texas, north of Beaumont, just a few minutes from Louisiana. So I, I am a, a Cajun food snob. But yeah, that's where I spent my childhood and my um, spent pretty much most of my life in Texas with the exception of a few years. And what was your family like growing up? So I am an only child, which of course in the church is highly unusual. But yeah, so grew up as an only child and spent most of my time with with friends and sometimes with family. I have a very small family. My parents had a small farm, so don't think of, you know, hundreds of heads of cattle, but we had a small farm that we grew up on, lots of gardens and things. And so as an only child, there is a lot of work put on one person. And so I spent a lot of time doing things that I needed to do to help around the house. And my parents were involved with that as well. And your parents were members of the church? My parents were members of the church. Um, I am a fourth generation LDS, but my parents were inactive most of my life. And so I had a, an aunt who was not an aunt by blood, but one of those close family members that you call aunt, um, who we grew, I grew up in a branch. And so she was my primary teacher. My, I think she was probably my young women's leader at one point and activity days leader and my seminary teacher for all four years of high school. So she took me to church every Sunday and um, into all the activities that we had to do. So it sounds like she played an instrumental role in helping you spiritually from a very young age. Oh, absolutely. She was incredibly influential. And I think about all the the things that she did for me and and the service that she provided my family. And of course, my mother was very big on service, even though she was not active in the church. She was very involved in giving to others. And of course, having most of everything we needed from the land that we had and from the animals and farm animals that we had, my mother was also very involved in giving things to people who needed it. In a small rural community, um, you rely on each other a lot to help each other. And so my parents were very involved in giving to others, but 
this aunt of mine, she was of great service to others that she spent her whole life doing that and me in particular. It's great to have someone like that in our lives, someone that took an interest in you and wanted to help you along that way. Absolutely. We all need that in our lives at some point. Definitely. Well, growing up in that rural environment, what did you want to be when you grew up? (laughs) You know, I can remember saying when I was really young that I wanted to be the first woman president, um, which is, that was, you know, a long time ago uh, when I would say that and everyone would laugh at that. And now that's closer to a reality than it than it ever has been. But, you know, I, I didn't really know. I mean, I said I wanted to be the first woman president, but when I went to college, I really thought that I wanted to do public relations. And so I studied speech communication, public communication. And I um, realized at some point that public relations jobs tend to be those that are let go first when companies are downsizing. And I saw some of that when I, even when I was in college. And so I thought, oh, maybe, maybe that's not the best route to take. But I got my degree in, in speech communication and thought, well, I can use that no matter what kind of job I have. So that's what I ended up studying. And I had a minor in journalism because I enjoyed writing um, and really enjoyed all my journalism classes and then I ended up getting my master's degree later on in um, organizational leadership and ethics. So it was a series of events in my life that led me to where I am. Once you began your career, did you find yourself gravitating towards that organizational behavior type role? I mean, you ended up going back to school to study that. What do you think led you that way? Well, you know what is so funny is my first real career, I was a high school teacher and I got recruited away to go work at Dell as a mechanical engineering project manager, which is so funny because I'm not a mechanical engineer. <laughs> I didn't really know what a project manager did. And I thought, well, I can give it a try. It has to pay more money than teaching. And so uh, my husband and I both were school teachers at the time. And I had a great principal who said, why don't you go try that for a year? And if you don't like it, come back and I'll save your job for you. So I felt like that was a really good safety net. So I went to do mechanical engineering project management, had a wonderful engineering executive that I worked for who taught me really the things that I needed to know to do my job well. But I thought, you know, I could do corporate training and that connected to my teaching background. So I was looking for programs, and of course, all of that falls under HR, and I was looking for programs, and I needed to continue to work during the day, and so I found this program at St. Edwards University in Austin in organizational leadership and ethics, and I thought, you know, this really sounds very interesting and offers me something more than just corporate training, and so I um, enrolled, got into graduate school, and did that at night. And just really fell in love with the curriculum. It was in the business school, and so that we had some business classes, but really learning about organizational leadership and all that that entails. And I just really dove in to that curriculum and loved all the work that I was doing and studying. And then after I finished graduate school, Dell ended up moving me into HR, which is where I got my real first taste of HR. 
Then I got recruited away to Bank of America, where I spent 10 years. I learned what really good HR looks like at Bank of America. And that's where I learned each of the disciplines within HR, but still with that foundational organizational behavior component that I got to use in in each area of HR that I worked in. So that's, that is really what led me there. It was sort of a crazy journey to get there. And I had an idea of corporate training and that was such a narrow focus and not realizing until after graduate school, so much more to HR that has led me to this 20 year career in HR. It seems like so many of our careers take a path a little different from what we might've expected (laughs) at the beginning. Yes. And back to your earlier question on what did I want to be when I grew up? HR was not one of those things that I said, oh, I really hope I get to be an HR professional. (laughs) So now you've served in very high level human resources capacities, uh, in fact, starting a brand new role here in April uh, as the chief human resources officer at Texas Capital Bank. And in that new venture, my understanding is that you plan to focus quite a bit on diversity, equity, and inclusion as part of that role. I know there's a lot that goes into a role like that, but let's talk a little bit about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Why are those such important topics these days? Yeah, well, you know, it it started as diversity and inclusion, and that's uh, what companies have been talking about for many years, probably since the 90s, but it didn't really take hold and, and have the intense focus that it has today until probably, I guess, 10 years ago or so, it it really started becoming more important for corporations to have more focus on what was then diversity and inclusion. And much of that started out as focus on women in the corporate workplace. And it really had its foundation in the technology industry that needed more females. And so it has morphed over the years because of the demands of the external environment, not just about bringing more females into the workplace, but people of color. So those who are of different ethnicities and races and why that's important to have a workforce that really mirrors society and and how that diversity of thought and perspective as a female has a different perspective than a male or someone from a, a Latinx heritage has a different perspective of someone of Black or African American. All of those perspectives are important. And so given the events that have taken place in society in the last few years, there is truly a increased focus by corporations on diversity Adding the word equity, that's really become more important probably in the last couple of years, even more so, I think, in the last less than a year after the George Floyd incident, and then inclusion. And to me, inclusion is the key word in all of this. If we have a mindset of inclusion, then diversity and equity just sort of follows that. And so diversity means a lot of things to a lot of people, but it's really an opportunity to take different perspectives from people with different experiences and backgrounds and bring them into the workplace and use that to enhance 
the value of the organization. Equity is really about, do we treat people fairly? Do we pay people of similar experiences and backgrounds and and education levels the same? And in doing that, we promote an inclusive culture in a company. And it's always been important. It hasn't always been focused on. Now it is even more important and more focus is being put on it. And really a lot of that's come about through unfortunate circumstances that have happened in our external environment. And that's not how we want inclusion, diversity, and equity to work, but it is what it is. And so this is now a time for companies to really have more focus. I know there's been a lot of research done in these areas and does it make a difference or how much of a difference does it make in the way companies operate or really any organization operates when they have high levels of diversity, equity, and inclusion? What are you seeing in that regard? I absolutely see that that is the case. The research is out there and there are probably more articles written on how much more successful companies truly are when they have a diversity, equity, and inclusion mindset, and it's really built into the values of the organization. But I see it every single day. I see it when I sit around the table and I listen to people talk and bring their perspectives and their experiences, which are so much broader than I remember even 15 years ago, to the table so that we can make the best decisions for the shareholders and for the employees in an organization. I see the varying life experiences that people have and how sharing that broadens all of our thought and all of our perspective on any decision that we need to make. So when you think of these principles and you look at your career and your faith, how has your faith influenced your approach to diversity, equity, and inclusion? Yeah, I really love this thought. And to be very transparent, I hadn't really thought about it because I look at diversity, equity, and inclusion. I mean, that's just part of my job. And I I don't tend to spend a lot of time mixing my personal life and my work life. Although, you know, my beliefs and from what I've grown up with and what we've learned in the church, it doesn't really have a line that's that clear. But as I've thought about this and thinking about the Savior and all the things that we are asked to do as members of the church to really strive to have a more Christ-like life, I think the Savior was truly the first DEI advocate, if you will. I mean, Christ loved all people from all backgrounds. And he saw everyone as equal. And we learn that a lot in the scriptures, as you know, from the Book of Mormon, as well as the Old and New Testament, and this equitable thought that the Savior has for all people. And inclusion is his platform. I mean, he is bring everyone unto Christ. And he is the greatest example of what diversity, equity, and inclusion really looks like and really means. And I hadn't thought about that until that question 
was posed to me. And, you know, I hope that the things that I do, not only as a member of the church, but as a chief human resources officer, provide that same example to people and how I appreciate diversity of thought. I want everyone to be treated fairly and I want to be inclusive. And it's really something that we're called upon and commanded to do is, you know, love thy neighbor and do all that we can do to include others and bring everyone unto Christ. So while it is a corporate imperative, to me, it is also a spiritual imperative. We just don't call it diversity, equity, and inclusion. I agree with you. When you look at the Savior and the way that he lived and the way that he reached out to individuals and the way that he treated them, as well as those commandments, the, the two great commandments certainly point us to loving our neighbor in a very clear way. We may think of them in different terms, but I think your analogy there makes a lot of sense. When we think about individuals that come into the church that have not necessarily grown up in the church and the different perspectives and experiences that they bring, I think it's so enriching to hear that and to have converts to the church share that so that we are all broadened because sometimes we can get very narrow in this is what we've grown up with and what we've always known and what we've always learned. And having a broader mindset allows us to truly be more inclusive and welcoming those who come from different backgrounds with different perspectives who didn't grow up in the church. So it sounds like just having an awareness of these things is probably a good place to start. If you think of an individual, whether you're in a workplace or at church, just being aware of making sure that we are inclusive instead of excluding others. And then, like you said, the diversity and the equity parts kind of flow with that. What can we do as members of the church? If you think of any church organization, whether it be a ward council or working with young men or young women, what can we do to make sure that we're on target? to be inclusive and to pay attention to these principles of diversity and equity? Well, I'm going to answer that in two pieces. I'll I'll answer it from what I have from a corporate perspective, and then I'll answer that from a more spiritual perspective. So from a corporate perspective, one of the things that we do is we spend time teaching people about this concept of unconscious bias. And so we all have biases. We all come with biases, and that's, that's our starting point. But we need to be aware of those biases and how those biases keep us from having an open and inclusive mindset and being willing to accept the thoughts and experiences of other people, people different from us. So that's where the corporate view. I mean, we do trainings on unconscious bias just to make people aware that we all have them and that you just need to be aware of them and how it can impact decisions that you make when you are talking with people at work or when you're hiring people. So that's the corporate side. And then the spiritual side is if we start from a place of love and inclusion, then those biases that we all have, they become less important or they become less influential in how we interact with others and decisions that we have to make very often and the things that we need to do to help members of the church because the you know our membership is made up of 
people from all backgrounds, all experiences, and some come from very challenging places in their life. And we, we all have things that we have to deal with. But if we come from this place of having a Christ-like love, then inclusion automatically takes care of itself. I have seen people come into the church, be new in the church, and they need to be surrounded by us as members because it can be hard to learn the things that you need to learn and to feel part of a ward family. And so if we can start from this place of inclusion and put our arms around people, there's so much growth and love that people can have and experience, but it all depends on what we are doing from our ward councils. I am the Relief Society secretary. And so, you know, we as a Relief Society presidency, we pray for the sisters that are in our ward or in our boundaries that need our love and support and those who may not be feeling the love that they need at this time. So that's the spiritual side. Start from a place of love and inclusion and let those biases that you have of what a perfect member of the church should look like, like put that aside and think about the individual and meet them where they are so that they can get to where they need to be spiritually. So if we look at it from the other perspective, if you're someone who feels excluded or marginalized in some way, what advice would you give them in a situation like that? Wow, that's a really great question because we know that people in the church or outside of the church um, at in a work setting can often feel marginalized. And I think the advice that I would give is don't be afraid to make your voice be heard because that is important in an inclusive environment. It is important that we hear all voices, but it is also important that all voices speak up and be heard because it is really easy to retreat and sit in a place of silence and watch things happen around you and never feel like that you're part of it. And so I tell sisters in the ward, find someone, find someone to connect with because they can help you have your voice heard. And I think that that's the most important part of being inclusive is letting people know that their voice is heard, that this is something, this goes back to what the Savior taught. I mean, he wants to hear from all of us. And it's not just through prayer, but through the actions that we show every day. It's interesting to think of the fact that we pretty much all have a responsibility for our own inclusion in some way or another. None of us like to feel excluded, but if we do, there are some steps we can take to be proactive and to reach out. I think what I'm hearing you say is, if you don't do that, you might continue to feel like you're on the outside looking in. And at the same time, if we feel like we're on in the inside looking out, we have a responsibility to reach out and bring those others in who seem to be on the outside. Absolutely. I mean, this is a moment of we're all in this together. And so the person who may feel marginalized um, does have a responsibility for reaching out or doing what they can to try to make those connections to feel more included. And then those of us who already have a voice 
and are involved have a responsibility to bring others in and be mindful and watching for those who may feel excluded. And I say that not just at church, I say that at work and every part of of our lives, there are people who feel they are on the outside and people who have a responsibility to bring those into the fold. And responsibility is not a one-way street. Everybody has a part in it. It's significant that in the church, we have ministering and everybody has a ministering assignment. So in theory, no one would be on the outside. Everyone would have a responsibility to reach out and help others. And a lot of times it's that reach out, that unselfishness that allows us to feel a part of things because we're putting ourselves second, reaching out to others first. That's exactly right. I was thinking about ministering as I was talking about letting others have a voice. And it's really the point, right? Is you have someone to go to. So the ministering brother or sister has a responsibility to those that they minister to. And those being ministered to have an opportunity to have their voice heard with their ministering brother or sister. So this is that two way responsibility. But I want those that I minister to, to know that even if I didn't reach out to you this week, to know that I still love and care for you in a way that, um, you know, I, I pray for you and I think of you, but sometimes my actions have to be a bit more overt than that. Yes, it does take some effort. And I have found that the spirit will guide us in those things and we'll be mindful of those that may need an extra word of friendship and fellowship and that people tend to respond very well to that. I completely agree with that. And I actually find that the spirit can sometimes guide me at work as well. I mean, the spirit doesn't say, you know, here's your personal self and I can only guide you and your personal self, your work self. I can't guide you there. I have been guided many times to reach out to people at work that I may not have spoken to in months because the spirit has said, you know, I needed to reach out to this person for some reason. And nearly every time the person will say, I was just thinking about you, or how did you know I was having a really bad day? I mean, it's just, you know, this is the beauty of having the spirit with us because it allows us every opportunity to be inclusive. What a wonderful thought to end on. And Shannon, really appreciate you being with us for this edition of our podcast. It's such a timely topic and it's important in so many elements of our lives. So thank you so much for your expertise and your words of wisdom here. Oh, thanks so much for having me. This has been a lot of fun and a topic I'm very passionate about. So thank you for having me. We've been talking with Shannon Urechka, who is the Chief Human Resources Officer at Texas Capital Bank and a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in the Colleyville, Texas stake. Shannon's comments about Jesus Christ being an advocate of diversity, equity, and inclusion reminded me of something President Russell M. Nelson said in the October 2020 General Conference. He reminded us that all people are equal in the eyes of God, and he said, quote, I call upon church members everywhere to lead out in abandoning attitudes and actions of prejudice. I plead with you to promote respect for all of God's children, end quote. I'm grateful for the way Shannon helped broaden my perspective in this regard, and I hope we can all be mindful of ways we can be more Christ-like 
in our efforts to accept all of God's children and treat them fairly with love and respect. For Lone Star Latter-day Saint Voices, I'm Eric Egan.